Hello, I'm Neil Whelan and welcome to the Wesleyan Podcast. In this week's episode, we hand over to Wilf Morley from our People Development Team, who has been talking to an award-winning financial planner and certified financial coach, Catherine Morgan. They'll be talking about financial behaviours, the spending habits people develop when they're young and how they can impact personal finances later in life, and ultimately, what can be done about it. As always with our podcasts, this is just for information purposes and shouldn't be taken as financial advice. You can find out more about how to get that from us at the end of the show. But for now, let's hear from Catherine. And first up, Wilf. So I know we've discussed financial behaviours recently, and I just really wanted to share with the audience a little bit about what that might actually mean. So could you tell me a bit about it, please? Yeah, of course. It's really interesting, isn't it? Like some of you will hear financial behaviours and think like, what on earth is that all about? And then others will be like, like, what, how, how is this relevant to personal finance? And I'm a massive believer that in order to live the life that all of us want to live, you know, where we have enough money to last us the rest of our lives, so we can do all the things that are important to us in the here and now and in the future. I'm a big, big believer that the actual challenge around how we can best manage our personal finances isn't necessarily in the lack of financial education because let's face it most of us did not have any financial education growing up around money yep. and so <laughs> what happens is our our financial behaviors what we do or don't do around money ultimately come down to how much we know about money and our beliefs and mindset so let me just talk a little bit about what i mean by that so when i refer to financial behaviors Having financial education is not the only answer. It's not the only solution yeah. because, of course, we all know logically we should be spending less than we earn. We all know logically that we should be managing our finances within our budgets. We should be investing when we're in our like early 20s. Um, you know, we know all of these things logically, but yet we don't always follow what we should do. And yeah. this is the challenge is because we can know everything there is to know about money, but still not follow advice. Like some of you listening to this may have seen a financial advisor in the past. You may have a relationship with a financial planner and yet they may give you advice to gift money out of your estates or take some risks with your cash. And there's something there that feels jaded. It feels unsafe. It feels uncomfortable. It feels unfamiliar. And that's really what I'm talking about when I refer to financial behaviours. It's how we behave is very much driven by how we feel and how we think about money. And how we feel and how we think about money is driven by our relationship with money, which is like the yeah. oldest relationship we have with anything <laughs> ever in our lives. But yet, how often do we really think about, like, what is my relationship with money? Like, yeah. how how do I behave around money? Where does that come from? What influences our relationship with money? That's the bit that we focus on is about combining the knowledge with actually understanding how our relationship with money serves us and how it sabotages our success. Yeah, so that's interesting. I mean, I suppose it's all a collection of a collection of your experiences throughout your life that really builds these financial behavior so to speak Catherine you've just mentioned ones there about sabotage and so what sort of you know could you give us some examples about behaviors that you see where people are sabotaging just through behavioral finance yeah I mean there's god there's a whole bunch of them like <laughs> the, the most common ones are if if our financial behaviors are not aligned then we make poor decisions that are not logical we make decisions based on our emotional response. So for example, an overspender, let's say, may know logically that 
they shouldn't be spending this money because they don't actually have the money and they may be in reoccurring debt cycles, for example, and really using money as a tool to make themselves feel better because of the emotional yeah. kind of dopamine hit that we get when we spend money. Um, it could also appear in maybe not sticking to a financial plan. So you might have a financial plan in place and then you come up for your annual review and you haven't done any of the things that you were going to do or you kind of you end up sabotaging yourself by going against the advice of an expert. Um, the other thing is you might not make any decisions at all. So we kind of bury our heads in the sands. Yeah. We might. Or, one of the biggest ones I see actually is um, is where we make financial decisions based on other people's expectations, other people's values, other people's beliefs where we're essentially just trying to keep up with the Joneses and compare ourselves <laughs> to everybody else. You know, we might follow people that are very wealthy and successful and try and apply the same things to us and it doesn't work. Um, and that's because everybody is individual. Everybody has their own unique blueprint with money. Like even overspenders, for example, I was a massive overspender in my twenties. I lived my entire twenties in 30,000 pounds worth of debt as a financial advisor, you can imagine the guilt and the shame associated with giving advice Absolutely. to everybody else and not yeah. following it myself. And so even as an overspender, I my relationship with money may be different to another overspender. The reason why I was overspending may be very different to another overspender. And of course, we have to be very careful to the language that we choose to use around money because it's that self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like if we call ourselves an overspender or spontaneous with money or um, risk, you know, not a risk taker, not a risk taker with money, then we just look for recurring evidence in our world to support those beliefs because that's the brain's job. The brain's job is to keep us safe. It's to keep things familiar to us. So yeah. those are kind of some of the, when I talk about self-sabotaging behaviors, those are some of the things that we know don't really do us good financially but yet it still happens. Yeah, it's interesting that because it's that confirmation bubble people can get stuck in really, isn't it? Where you only see the evidence that supports your own mindset, which then further deepens your own mindset on it really, doesn't it? So Yeah, 100%, which is why like one of the best things that we can do to change those sabotaging behaviours is awareness. It's yeah. bringing awareness to, well, first of all, what are my money narratives? What are my core beliefs around money? Uh, because most of them actually don't even belong to us. Yeah. <laughs> like they're just, just inherited been, from others. Yeah. Yeah, they've been inherited from parents, past, even past generations. That There's loads of studies in financial psychology around how, uh, through epigenetics, actually, this is some of the work of Dr. Bruce Lipton, who talks about epigenetics and the science behind how patterns of behaviours and habits are literally passed through our DNA, through our genetics. You know, it's a bit like a, a dentist, for example, who's looking at somebody's teeth, your teeth. And actually, I've never had this conversation with a dentist. So this is probably a really bad example. I'm, I'm assuming here that our dental structure isn't just of how we're born. It's through our DNA. It's through past generations. You know, you can see from, like similar jaw lines, can't you, of all like your, your previous yeah. generations. So actually, I'd love to have that conversation with a dentist one day. Um <laughs> But, there might be know, one listener that reaches out to you. <laughs> there might be. Reach out and let me know. Um, you know, as an example, that is passed through our DNA. It's passed through epigenetics. So that's really interesting because I bet if you took a moment to think about 
your family generation, your parents or your grandparents, what were their core beliefs around money and how has that been passed through to you? So for example, my nan, God bless her, she's still alive. She's 96 and still kicking. And, you know, she was a post-war, but well, she was a war baby and everything during the war was about a lack of, you know, not enough yeah. rationing, um, you know, not buying things new, but just repairing things that were broken. You know, you think about how they treated money in those days in, in British culture, then those beliefs would have formed her core behaviors around money. And consequently, of course, my mum would have experienced that as a young child. And then her beliefs would have been formed and her beliefs then would have been passed through to my beliefs. And so that whole awareness piece around our own relationship with money and how that's been carried through generationally, you know, we've all established our relationship with money by the age of seven. Yeah, crazy. which is really, <laughs> like, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because in that imprinting period between the age of birth and seven, we actually operate in a completely theta state of learning. So our brain actually is in a completely theta state, which means that everything we learn, the brain takes as complete fact. It doesn't know how to differentiate between fact and fiction, what's right and what's not right, truth and non-truth. So when we hear or observe things around us at that age the you know the brain is like a sponge it just saps up all that information and so of course as adults now our core beliefs our brain thinks are true so when yeah. we look at things like money doesn't go on trees or you have to work hard to make money you know those are big core beliefs around money our brain will literally flood the amygdala part of the brain which deals with emotions around well you can't possibly drop a day a week in your business because you have to work hard to make money. And so it will try and self-sabotage, even though you know it's probably the better thing to do and we all want that, but it will will always try to protect you based on those core beliefs. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I was just speaking to a client on Monday who was in that concept stage of going, I want to drop another day, but it's going to result in less money, but it was trying to get the concept across, but could it increase your happiness? because how much do you really need to do what you want to do? And it was a really interesting conversation when we got into it. I know you've just been talking about, obviously, the way that it passes down and nature and nurture, and we know that all impacts our our behaviours, not just from a financial point of view. I have heard you talk previously about the differences between men and women, and I know it's going to be a bit stereotypical, but could you just tell us a little bit more about that when it comes to finances, please? Because I found that really interesting. Yeah, I I think I'm quite... um... The the way I think that we look at money, I think needs to be inclusive. And actually, the less we talk about men and women, I think the better, because sometimes we can end up kind of segregating ourselves into these kind of boxes of men are like this and women are like this. And actually, what's what's super interesting for me is um, Starling Bank um, did some research, actually. These are an online challenger bank. They did some research around uh, something called their Make Money Equal campaign. And they looked at all the research around how the media communicates to men and how the media communicates to women around money. And it was so interesting. There were stats out there around, um, and we've actually done a podcast on our own podcast uh, about this recently, that like the media talks to men about status and wealth and investing. And they talk to women about 
spending money on clothes and shoes and handbags and don't be frivolous with your money and you know really quite derogatory and not all not inclusive at all but there is some research um to show that typically men are driven by status um and women tend to be enablers um or people pleasers around money so I think a lot of this comes from the kind of the DNA, the generational, you know, nurture, nurture nature yeah. discussion and the hunter gatherer. And, you know, for a lot of men, they do feel quite status driven around money because they feel like they have to be the main provider in their families. They want to be the main provider in their families. And sometimes when that balance of power, if you like, is shifted in the relationship where perhaps the woman is bringing in more money than the man, it can actually create a lot of, um, resentment or you know resistancy from the man in the relationship not always but 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 often and I think that just goes back to generationally that you know men typically brought most of the wealth into the household um, and now we're starting to see that change you know more than 50% of wealth now is held by women there are more women launching new businesses than ever before um, and for women, I think from the research I've read, it's often suggested that women tend to be natural caregivers and therefore they look after everybody else's needs in before their own. Yeah. And we know that a woman's life cycle is different to a man's. Typically women have to look after aged parents. Again, not always, but it tends to be the women that have to leave their jobs early. It tends to be women that leave for a period of time from work to look after children. So we have a different life cycle with our finances, perhaps than a man does. Yeah. Um, and this is why I think it's so important to have this conversation about ensuring that all genders, men and women are in a position where they're building towards financial independence for themselves so that they're not codependent on anybody or anything. Um, because there will be times when we go through significant transitions in our life whether that's having a family being made redundant going through a divorce losing a loved one all of these things happen um and that's why i think it's less about men versus women more about well let's keep this conversation inclusive and yeah. let's harbor some really good conversations to make sure that people at home can have positive conversations about money and not have arguments around money um, fantastic yeah and that's that's something that we i mean we teach this in our financial coaching training program with advisors you know how do you hold space for couples to have positive relationships around money because we know that that's the biggest cause of divorce in this country is around money um yeah. which is interesting right because money in itself is just money it's like it's just a piece of paper it's a physical yeah. coin <laughs> but we give so much power and emotion to money um that it then creates challenges in relationships. I suppose partly of just what's left unsaid and what's what's left in the head and what's being thought about in the head without necessarily being communicated a lot of the time. So it is that inclusive approach, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so, when it comes to relationships, um, you know, often if we're actually attracted naturally to somebody who has the opposite relationship to money to us, which I find yeah. really fascinating. Um, <laughs> So kind of we're, you know, we're shooting ourselves in the foot, really, that we're kind of giving ourselves a hard time to start with um, when entering a relationship. But, you know, if one of you is a high planner, for example, and one of you is super spontaneous, then of course you're going to get conflict in a relationship around money. 
Um, but what's important to remember is that there's no right or wrong. And each of yeah. you will bring different things to the relationship when it comes to money. And each of you will have different values. Each of you will have a different relationship with money. And it's therefore important, and even as a financial planner, to recognize that it's not always about having joint goals and joint visions and joint events in your life that you both want to reach at the same time. You know, how often do we naturally just assume that Mr. and Mrs. are going to retire at the same time um, or at the standard age of 65 or 60? You know, it's we have to go deeper than that to really understand what's important to the individual as well as to the couple in their relationship. Fantastic. Great points there, Catherine. So just about the financial behaviours in general, then, because we've gone through quite a bit there. If there's anybody out there thinking, I am a bit of an overspender, I am a little bit of a retail therapist, you know, or any other financial habits that they might be spotting and starting to um, just just be a little bit more self-aware about, what would be the, you know, a couple of main steps that you would suggest for them to help break that cycle? I think it ultimately it depends on your relationship with money. Um, you know, the, the steps you take if you're an emotional spender is very different to the steps that you might take if you're str struggling with another area of your finances in terms of your behaviours. Yeah. I think generically, like across all of the different common challenges we have with our relationship with money, the, the tips I would give there, the, the first one is what I would call get financially naked. Like... <laughs> this is a, you know, this is bringing a little bit of fun to money. It's about exploring, you know, if we were to literally strip everything back bare, what is important to you in the context of money? What is important to you in the context of your relationship, your career, your children, um, and really digging deep into your desires? Because I think a lot of the time when we talk about goals, goals are very fixed a specific moment in time. And quite masculine, actually, to think about goal planning. Whereas if we were to just soften that and think about intentions, what are your intentions for the year ahead, for the next two years ahead, the next three years ahead? And, you know, how do you want to be feeling next year? You know, people are often, particularly those who, people who are right brain centered, will be very feeling based, which is very much dealing with the right hand part of our brain, not the logical left hand part of our brain. Yeah. You know, so when we're thinking about financial goals for the year ahead, for example, you know, really think about what are the deep level desires, not the surface level goals. So when we say things like I want financial freedom or I want to have um, a holiday next year, I want to put my kids through university, I want to be able to retire at the age of 50. Those for me are surface level goals. Yeah. So getting financially naked for me is a about understanding your numbers B is about understanding your relationship with money and creating a plan with your financial planner based on your relationship with money. And three then is about really digging deep into your deep level values and intentions, not the shallow ones. So my husband and I had this conversation last night um, as an example where he was like, like what, was or what was important to me was living by the sea. And when I dug deeper, we recently moved to Jersey and the Channel Islands. When I dug deeper, I thought, what is it about living by the sea that is so important? And I dug deeper. So what is important about living by the sea? Like space, like spaciousness, just being able to look out into the ocean. Well, what's important about looking into the ocean? Well, time to do nothing, <laughs> like no phones, no technology, <laughs> 
nothingness, like nothing. What's important about nothingness? And it, and it really was, you know, if you keep drilling and drilling further and further down, quite a good analogy for a dentist, drilling and drilling and drilling, <laughs> you know, then what is, what's right underneath that surface? If you strip everything back, get financially naked, what's right at the core of that? What is that emotion that you're seeking? Because often it is happiness, security, safety. It might be expansion. It might be freedom but keep going and going and going until you can like literally go no further and and then use that as your motivation to help you create a financial plan and build in financial products that are going to be right for you based on that deep core need rather than just setting like surface level goals that ultimately we just pluck out of thin air most of the time because we haven't really spent the time really really thinking about what are the deep desires that we want money to enable us to be able to do? Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for that, Catherine. And um, just lastly, I know that you've got a book coming out very shortly. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, thank you. So it feels so weird to like talk about the book before it's actually um, happened yet. So, um, but yes, on the 9th of December this year, I'm releasing my 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 book, which is called "It's Not About the Money." Uh, you can hop on our waitlist actually at katherinemorgan.com forward slash book. Um, or depending on when you're listening to this, it may already be available. So just come over <laughs> to the website and we're actually giving the book away for free. Um, you guys just pay postage and packaging because we want to get this book into as many hands as possible, whether that's children um, or families or for yourself, because I really believe that the more we can focus on our behaviors and habits around money, particularly for the younger generation, the more I think that will really help us to look at money through a different lens. And that's really what I hope this book will do. That's fantastic. Thanks very much for your time there tonight, Catherine. It's been really interesting talking to you. And um, I wish you the very best for the launch of the book there. Thank you very much. Thanks, Wilf. Lovely to speak with you. And that's our show for this week. Thank you to Wilf and Catherine. If you're interested in hearing more from Catherine, you can download her podcast, In Her Financial Shoes, from all the usual providers. And, as she said, her new book, It's Not About the Money, is published on the 9th of December, with more on that at our website, katherinemorgan.com. To find out more about us here at Wesleyan, and to talk to someone about financial advice, check out our New Look website at wesleyan.co.uk, and follow us on Twitter, at Wesleyan, and search for us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean and Audible. But that's it for now. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>